Hey guys, we have been experiencing some technical difficulties with our recording. And if you're listening to this in the future, then you'll never know that we had to take a break. And so I want to finish where we were before moving on to where we are. Uh, we were in the middle of First John chapter 5. Uh, we had actually finished the first five verses of that chapter, but I, I would hate to leave that series unfinished. Uh, we, we preached it here at our church. Um, however, the recordings did not take, and so we were not able to put those online. So I want to spend a few minutes simply finishing out the letter of First John. We, we, for some of you listening, you have listened to so many different sermons in First John, and I just do not want to leave that unfinished for you guys. So uh, without any further delay, let us go ahead and look at First John chapter 5, and we are going to pick up in verse 6 since that's where we left off. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 6 through 12, and then we will go back and look at these verse by verse, and we will do that for the rest of the, the letter. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 6 says this, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So let's go back and look at each one of these verses, uh, verse by verse. In verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. This is a very uh, highly debated verse, and just especially what does the water and the blood mean. And it could mean several things. I, to be honest, I'm not uh, sure which one it means, and neither are a lot of other people, that's why there's so many opinions, um, but the water is the one that is uh, debated the most. Does that mean his birth as a human being? Does this mean his baptism? Um, some, like, where's be even believe that it's the water and the blood when the spear was put in him on the cross, um, but blood, we know it's referring to his death and, and what happened on the cross. And so this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. Uh, it's my opinion that whichever the water means, um, whether it's the beginning of his life, which would be his birth, or the beginning of his public messianic ministry, which would be his baptism, or whether it's at the cross itself, that all three of these events happened, and all three of these events are going to testify to who Jesus was. Any of those three events would do that. So it all accomplishes the ultimate meaning of what we're going at here. Um, so continuing that verse, And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. Okay, so we make a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of importance on agreement, and I just finished verse 8 where it says, And these three agree. And in the Old Testament, we see that there is a need for two or three witnesses for something to be taken as public 
um, truth. And so in verse 9, we continue, it says, If we receive the testimony of men, so these things happen and people have talked about them, and if we receive that testimony, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. And so the Spirit testifies, and, and we don't know exactly what this is. This could mean several things also. What is God testifying about? What exact testimony is it referring to? Um, this could be when he was baptized, and the, he said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? Or it could have been at the transfiguration when, he, when he, his voice was heard. Um, or, or this could just simply mean that, um, we know these things, that God ha allowed these things to happen, and, and this truth is carried forward in even this very letter that John is writing by the apostles, um, by, by the, for us today, the Bible. And so um, God has testified according to you know who his son is. He has said in more than one place um, that Jesus is his son, and not only is his son, but that they are one. Uh, we see the evidence of them being one over and over and over again. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, mentioned in several places. Um, we do, as Christians, believe that we serve one God, uh, but that that one God manifests himself in three persons, three different personal manifestations. And so um, we, we see them separately, of course. We hear all about Jesus. We hear all about the Father. We hear all about the Spirit. But we see them in the same place a lot too at Jesus's baptism, um, and, and prob not only that, but um, the Great Commission. When Jesus is given the Great Commission, we're told to go um, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we see them present at the Great Commission um, when the Spirit is sent in John fourteen twenty six. Um, that Bob Utley gives a great list of of all these places in his commentary, um, Pentecost, the discussion of flesh and spirit in Romans 8. Uh, there's just a, a ton of places where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are mentioned together. And so God, uh, we know what God believes about the Son and what, what I've been saying, and this is what he testifies to. Um, and so I believe that this is what it, it's referring to. I don't know the exact moment or maybe all of these moments, but... That, that's what we see here. So let me let me continue reading in verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So if we are saved, if we have become followers of Christ, then the Bible tells us that we are filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. And so um, we have the Spirit testifying within us. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Now, this isn't the first time that John speaks very um, to the point, and he is uh, very blunt here. Whoever does not believe God, so if you don't believe what, uh, what God testified about Jesus, if you don't believe those things about him, then um, we're making God a liar. Basically, we're saying we don't believe you, is what he's saying there. Uh, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So, what we just said. Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So there's more proof, not just the testimony of the Spirit inside of us, not just the testimony of the Father concerning his Son, not just the testimony of all the eyewitnesses of who Jesus was, not, not only the testimony of the water and the blood, um, 
but the fact that he has given us eternal life. Um, and this, this only comes through the Son. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so this puts it simply, uh, this is uh, very um, important. We, in order to have a relationship with God, we need the Son. And the only way we can be made right with God in order to have that relationship is through what Christ did on the cross. He died to pay a debt that we owed. He died to pay for our sins. And so that is 1 John chapter 5, verses 6-12. through 12. Uh, Let's continue, and we will uh, pick up now in verse 13. I want to emphasize again that I know we're moving fast, uh, but this is just an overview of several sermons that I preached uh, that I am fitting into uh, one short podcast. So, um, beginning in verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, some people believe that when he says, I write these things to you, he's referring to simply the last few verses. And he, at the beginning of chapter 2, he says something similar and People believe that, and if they believe that, they believe that he's also, in those instances, referring to the immediately preceding verses. Uh, and then some people believe that he means this entire letter, that I write these things to you. Uh, this is the conclusion of the letter, and people believe that he's referring to the whole letter. I think either way it fits. Um, of course, the preceding verses specifically um, relate to this, uh, but really the whole letter does. Uh, we, we have themes for this letter, not just one theme, but several themes, just like when we studied Philippians, um, that you could not help but hear the theme of unity throughout it. And with this, um, there's a theme of love in First John, that, but there's also a theme of assurance and knowing. And so I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so we can, as Christians, know that we have eternal life and, and that it, it comes through him. It comes through Jesus. And it, we can have an assurance inwardly through the Holy Spirit, as, as he was mentioning the witnesses earlier. We, those things can witness to who Jesus is. And if we have the Spirit living within us, then we can know that we have eternal life because we have a relationship with Jesus, which um, is where eternal life comes from. So, verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, we need to look at this, and we need to believe what this says, but we don't need to make it say something that it doesn't. This does not say that if we ask for anything, God will give it to us. Let's look closely um, at what verse 14 says. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, So um, this verse starts by saying, uh, here is what we believe, and this is why we can have confidence in it, right? Uh, That if we ask anything, so it does say if we ask anything, but that's not all it says. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we can pray for anything, right? But that doesn't mean God's going to give us what we want or or answer our prayers in the way that we desire for him to answer them. Uh, What this says is we can have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when we ask for something that he already wants, 
then we can have confidence that he hears us. And it's prayer is interesting. Prayer is deep. And in these few minutes that we're covering these verses, we don't have time to go and into the complexities of it. Um, but we believe that God knows best. As Christians, we believe that God knows best. And when we pray for something, we want what's best. And so if we're praying for what God desires, that's what's best. And we're told that he will answer according to his will. And so he knows every single thing that we ask for, not just the immediate results of that, but the consequences that that has for eternity, on the implications of all future um, repercussions of that one thing that we're praying for. And he knows what's best. And I just have to trust him. I look around me sometimes and, and the world looks like it's in chaos. It is in chaos. And uh, of course there's good. Of course there's some incredible things that I see. But we also see that it appears the world is falling apart. And not just um, by our own actions and, and uh, wars and things like that, but even in nature. Uh, we live in a fallen world and, and it's evident all around us. And so um, I, I look around me and just to not to veer too far off the point, but I, I just, it's hard to trust God sometimes in the sense of what my eyes see. But I have to have faith. I have to believe that God knows what's best. And even in the chaos, even with all that's happening right now, where our choices have led us and then some things that are beyond our control and beyond our bad choices, um, I have to believe that God knows what he's doing. And if he loved us enough to send his son for us, and he promises us that he has wisdom and sovereignty, and I believe he does, then I have to believe that he is working this out for his glory. And that one day we will all look back and say, yes, it was good. He made the right decisions, and he did the right thing every time. And so I don't trust myself to to make the best decisions all the time, but I trust him. And so I want his will to be done. And I have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, this is verse 15, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And so we can trust him. If we're asking for the right things, he's going to answer us. We can trust that and believe that. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, I just read verses 16 and 17. And so uh, I'm going to quickly summarize this. Uh, there are sins that are so grievous. If you think of spiritually speaking, and um, I believe it's Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira uh, lie. It, it's... <laughs> An incredible, an incredible story. It's a very sad story. Um, but both of them, within moments of their sin, they die. And so there is sin that leads to death. And and this is, I believe, and many commentators believe, that this is speaking directly to sin, uh, death that comes quickly. So if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death. So you have time, basically. If you see someone sinning and you have time to pray about about it and for that person, then you should. It says, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. 
Um, so, you know, I said a sin, but that this just says there is sin that leads to death. And so there are sins, as I mentioned, with Ananias and Sapphira that lead to quick, uh, untimely death. And so verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin. So that's very basic theology. But there is sin that does not lead to death. And so, look, spiritually speaking, all sin leads to death. Okay, this, it, but... This is speaking about a physical death, the end of our life here on earth. All wrongdoing is sin, right? All wrongdoing spiritually leads to death. But there is sin that does not lead to death, and that's speaking physically. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who, has, he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And so when we look at this verse, we know that... If we've been born of God, then we don't keep on sinning. And of course, this doesn't mean perfectly. We've mentioned this so many times in First John. This is not saying that if you if you become a Christian, you never sin again. This is saying that if you become a Christian, then your desire should be to not keep on sinning, that you should strive to not keep on sinning. And when you do sin, because that's going to happen, you repent. But you don't just sin openly and willingly. So... Um, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God, that's Jesus, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. All right, So we have protection from God for those of us who are Christians. We, we have a choice of whether or not to sin. And verse 19, we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So there's a few things going on here. First, we know. So again, I mean, even in verse 13, we just saw no. And, and I talked about assurance over and over again. Uh, we're, we're seeing these things that we can know. Verse 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God. And then verse 19, we know that we are from God. And we're not there yet, but in verse 20, and we know that the Son of God. And so we, we keep seeing these we knows, and there are three of them here. And the first one is everyone that's been born of God does not keep on sinning. The second one, verse 19, we know that we are from God. And so, of course, he's already talked about assurance, but if if we're Christians, we know that we are from God. And But simultaneously, if we're of God, that implies that people who do not have a relationship with God are not of God. And this is talking about a spiritual relationship, being right with God, not that we... I mean, everyone was created by God, but this is talking about those who currently have a relationship with Him. Um, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so, just by essence of not having a relationship with God, you're in the hands of evil, and you're affected by it, and you will experience the results, the end results of that, which is in eternity of separation from God. Verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know, here's another know, all these knowledge knows that we see here in verse John, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So in these verses, all of these things that we can know, ultimately what it is, is we can know God. We can know him through his son. We can know him through the relationship that we have in him because we are of him, that we, we that are from him, those who have been saved, uh, we are, 
we know the Son of God, and he's come to give us understanding. We know that the world lies in the power of the evil one, but we have a relationship with God. We have been saved, and God loves all of us equally, He, he but he has given us this gift, and we have responded to this gift, and we have a relationship with him through his Son, and we know he is the true God, and we know we have eternal life through him. And then verse 21, it, a very abrupt ending um, with with a greed, with another title that he uses several times throughout this letter. But in verse 21, he says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, that might seem like a weird ending if we're not paying attention to what's going on here. But if what he's basically saying is, is that we know the one true God. We have a relationship with him. Uh, he is everything, and he is where we have eternal life, and he is what we need. And so let's worship him. Keep yourselves from idols. All right. We know the truth. Let's not go back to idols. It reminds me of when God delivered the Israelites out of um, Egypt and they get to the mountain and Moses goes up there. And while he's up there um, receiving the written Ten Commandments and things like that, um, they are fashioning a God um a golden cat a golden calf for them to worship and they've just been delivered by god with the plagues and everything the evidence that he is who he says he is they had so much proof and he spoke to them in in exodus chapter 20 and and told them to draw near to the mountain and and they were scared and stood far off while moses drew near to the thick darkness where god was and moses went up on the mountain and while he was up there here they are creating for themselves an idol, even though they knew God, even though they've heard his voice, even though they had seen him work. And for those of us who are Christians, we can have a relationship with God and see who he is and know what he has done and yet go back to the very things that we left, that we were saved from. And I'm not saying we lose our salvation, but we're wasting time and we're wasting our lives when we're worshiping things that are temporary rather than the one true God. And we talked earlier in this uh, podcast about how God loves us and about how he knows uh, everything and he knows what's best and he knows the consequences of all of our actions, good and bad, and what will result from that and what will result from us giving ourselves over to idols is nothing good. And so we need to keep ourselves from idols and just briefly an idol isn't necessarily something of gold that we make, a statue that we worship. It can be anything that we put before God. It can be a television show. It can be even good things like our family. Um, anything that we give more importance, more value than God, that's an idol. And it's sometimes hard to identify the idols we have in our lives, but just look at how you spend your time. Look at where you spend your money. Look at the, what you... Um, s- organize your life around and you will see what your idols are and so i hope you've enjoyed studying first john chapter 5 i apologize that i wasn't able to get these sermons uh, online but hopefully this synopsis of uh, verses 13 through 21 or sorry verse 6 through 21 hopefully this um, helps to wrap up this uh, letter for you and feel free to look into it in more details if you have any questions uh, email me. My email is uh, philslaw at gmail.com. That's P-H-I-L, Phil, S-L-A-U-G-H, the first part of my last name, Slaw, 
um, all one word, philslaw at gmail.com. So thank you guys for listening.